Amen. Chapter 35 of the book of Exodus tonight. Tonight, we actually are starting a new and the last uh, section in the book of Exodus. Chapter 35 through the end of the book, chapter 40, is going to be dealing with the same topic, really, and that is the construction of the tabernacle. You might remember that way back in chapter 24, there was another section from chapter 24 to chapter 31, and it was dealing when Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights the first time. He was getting the Ten Commandments, not only the Ten Commandments, but these detailed instructions on how to build this tabernacle. That's what Pastor Steve was alluding to in his prayer earlier. The tabernacle was basically a fancy tent that would um, have something of the presence of God. And the idea was that it would be right in the middle of their camp. God was communicating, I want to be at the very center of your lives. And all of their worship and all of their everything, the priesthood, all centered around that tabernacle. And that tabernacle, all of it, from tip to tail, points us to Jesus Christ. It's a phenomenal study. We took a lot of time on that in chapters 24 through 31. Now it's going to be dealing with the actual building of this thing, culminating in chapter 40 of them not only building it, but then the presence of God, His glory coming into that place. It's phenomenal. So it's only like five chapters, six or seven more months, and we're going to wrap this baby up. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But tonight, um, chapter 35, and and we'll hopefully dip our big toe into chapter 36 as well because it's kind of linked together. Um, We're going to be looking at specifically, as it relates to the construction of the tabernacle, we're going to be looking at the contributions or the offerings of the material and manpower, the gifts and the gifted people that it was going to take to build this humdinger. And so it's pretty detailed, pretty amazing. And I'd like to go through it fairly quickly because I think as we do, you're going to see some parallels to how it might apply to our lives in the building project, so to speak, that we're all involved in, to kind of show my hand a little bit. But let's jump in. Chapter 35, uh, the construction of the tabernacle, specifically dealing with the contributions, the offerings for the tabernacle. Chapter 35, verse 1. So Moses assembled all of the congregation of the people of Israel, and he said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. And he was referring to what he talked about earlier. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all of your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Now pause for a second. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought you told me that this chapter is dealing with the construction of the temple, and that's True, it is, but you might be thinking what I was thinking. When I first read this, I'm like, now wait a minute. Why is God throwing in yet another warning to the Israelites about making sure that they keep the Sabbath? You guys tracking with me? It almost seems out of place. Like, why is this thrown in there? Does he have just some burr in his saddle about the Sabbath there or what? But guys, it actually makes perfect sense. Think about it. The Jews are about to embark on an incredible noble, difficult, detailed, expensive, important, um, typical in the sense of like picturing the glory of God, 
something that their whole of worship system would surround, the building of the tabernacle. This project is unbelievably important. And so it makes all the sense in the world that God says, oh, 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 and by the way, before you start building it, remember this, work six days and then take a day off, rest. What's he communicating? He's communicating this. You and I can get so involved in good things, noble things, important things, the work of the Lord, and yet we can easily neglect time with the Lord. Does that make sense? Rest, being refreshed. Does that make sense? He's saying, look, don't get so busy working for me that you forget to be with me. And that's something that we have to get ingrained into our heads. Guys, we're, it, we're Christians in the new covenant. We're not under the covenant of the law. We're not Jewish people. We don't have to keep the Sabbath in the same way. Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest. Amen? And we can take, you know, any day of the week if we want to. But the principle is what's important. Take time to be with the Lord. Did you notice that little phrase that popped out at me this time through where it says in verse 2, holy to the Lord. A Sabbath rest, a solemn rest, holy to the Lord. The whole idea of the Sabbath was not just some rule for them to follow that God was just going to nitpick about. The whole idea was it was to be unto him, worship. Not just resting physically, which was important, but resting spiritually, getting replenished and refilled. Amen? I think it's a mistake. And sometimes pastors and missionaries and Sunday school teachers and worship leaders and those who are quote-unquote in the ministry, we are the worst of the bunch because we'll almost brag about how busy we are for the Lord and we don't take days off or we don't take vacations. And to that I say, we're idiots. We're fools if we don't. We're, we're fools if we don't take time to get refreshed. Amen? So I love this. Before he starts anything to do with the work, he says, hey, don't forget, don't get so busy working for God that you forget to just be with God. That is a humongous principle when it comes to serving God. Well, let's move into this. Now in verses 4 through 19, he's basically going to uh, share the vision or share the opportunity that the people have to give towards this project. Uh, in verses 4 through 9, He's going to give them uh, the opportunity to give practically, materially. Um, and then verses 10 through 19, a giving not of just their material goods, but of their service. And you'll see that as we go through. Verse 4. So Moses said to the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution. Uh, your translation might read an offering, same idea. To the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart or a willing heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Now, this is what uh, they would need. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, fine-twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for the setting of the ephod for the breastplate. If you guys were here for the study of, of the, the furniture and the tabernacle itself, you'll remember there was so much gold involved, so much silver, precious stones, very specific, detailed, just elaborate, decorative things that are involved. And just as an aside real quick, I wonder if Moses wasn't really relieved when God's like, okay, call the people together because they're going to bring all this stuff. Because 
God gave the vision to Moses, but I wonder if he was ever like, how in the world are we going to pull this thing off? You guys, you guys ever just felt like a burden from the Lord and like, How's, how are we going to do this? Notice this. God never puts the burden completely on one person. He's spreading it out. And he says, look, you're going to give everybody else the opportunity to pitch in and to help. And it was going to take, I mean, just loads and loads and loads of materials. So he says, tell the people they can bring a free will, and that's a key, free will offering. Verse 10. I know I'm moving quickly, but it's, there's a, a method to my madness here. So verse 10. He says, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its hooks, frames, bars, its pillars, its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and its utensils, and of the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for light, with it its utensils, its lamps, and the oil for its light. And the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar for burnt offering, with it its grating of bronze, its poles, all of its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars, all the, uh, the bases and the screen for the gate of the court, pegs of the tabernacle, pegs for the court with their cords, finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the garments for Aaron, the priest, the garments of his sons, and for their service of the priest. <sighs> Jay's catch up. Now, if you, if you weren't here for, like, the study of what the tabernacle is, or if you don't have any knowledge of that, or all the stuff that's involved with it, you're like, what the heck did we just read? Well, I'm going to review chapter 24 through 30. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. But if you remember going through all the tabernacle itself, uh, the furniture, the utensils, the accessories, gosh, there was just this massive list. And when it's all listed together, you're like, this is a, this is a huge project. There's so much work to be done. This is a daunting task. And God says, here's what I want. I want not only for you guys to bring the materials, but then I want everybody who's, who's gifted, and we're going to talk more about this, in working with those materials. I want you guys to be a part of it too, and you get a chance to participate in the project. So, he, so basically from verses 4 through 19, Moses gathers the congregation, and he just gives them kind of the layout, the vision. Hey, guys, you remember the tabernacle blueprints? Okay, it's time to start getting this thing going. We need materials. This is what God says. This is, all the, this is the material list. Go to Home Depot. Go get it. Not really... Um, it's more like go to your home and go get this stuff. And then not only do we need gifts, we need gifted people. So he just kind of puts it out there. Now, verses 20 through verse 29, we're going to see how the people respond. They hear, they hear, okay, we got the vision. We've got jobs to do. There's stuff that's needed. How are we going to respond? Verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed for the presence of Moses. So they all kind of just kind of picture this. There's a big meeting. Okay, go. And they all kind of scatter back to their houses. But then they start coming back. Verse 21, and they came. And I love this phrase. Everyone whose heart stirred him. And everyone whose spirit moved him. And they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for the service and for the holy gar uh, garments. Don't you guys love that? Whose heart stirred them and whose spirit moved them. 
I'm going to come back to this, but I just want to accentuate it here for a second. They heard the vision. The need was made known. They're invited to participate. And for some, not all, but for some, their hearts were like stirred up. Something in them, their spirit was like, I, want to, I got stuff I want to give to this thing. I want to be involved in this task. It says that, so it says they went on, verse 22, and so they came. They come back. Both men, and I love this, both men and women, all who are of a willing heart, there it is again, they brought their brooches and their earrings and their signet rings and their armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue and purple scarlet yarn, these, these are like expensive yarns, uh, the, it's the dye and stuff that would make them expensive, um, or fine linen, or the goat's hair, or tanned ram skins, or goat skins. They brought them. Every, now listen to this. Well, actually, let me pause there for a second. Because I thought about this. Now wait a minute. These guys, they're bringing gold, silver, like precious stones, like expensive purple dyed garments, and all these threads, fine twined linen. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. Where did they get this stuff? They got it in Egypt. But weren't they slaves? Were they working like side jobs so they could buy like a gold armlet? And then if you did buy it, where would you wear it? To the kiln when you're making bricks? Like where did they get all this stuff? But you have to remember that when they left Egypt, when they were kicked out of Egypt, do you guys remember what happened? God predicted what would happen. They would spoil the Egyptians. It's as if something, it's not as if, God actually put it on the hearts of the Egyptians to just give them stuff. They asked the Egyptians, can we have this stuff? They're like, yes, get the heck out of here. Take our gold. Take our stuff. Here's my life savings. They were like, get out of here. It's because of you. All these plagues are happening. Who knows? Maybe part of their mentality was, we've mistreated you this whole time anyway, and we're getting ours now. So here's just, in other words, they loaded up their camels. They loaded up their stuff with all this Egyptian gold, all this expensive stuff. And so when the time comes, God's like, hey, bring what you want. Bring it in. And that's where they got the stuff. But not only that, look at verse 24. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver and bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood for the use of the uh, work, they brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had, spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women, I lo- again, I love this phrase. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. Now, you probably don't have a goat hair spinning skill, but God's given you some skill, some talent, and he's stirring that gift up within them. Now, we're going to talk about this, kind of break it down here a little bit more in a minute, but don't miss that phrase. That's a powerful phrase. All whose hearts stirred them to use their gifts, use their skill. Well, verse 27, And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set, for the ephod and the breastplate, if you remember, all these high expensive stones would be set on the priest ephod, 12 of them representing the tribes of Israel. Spices, verse 28, oil for the light, oil for the anointing oil, for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, again, here's another great phrase, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. So again, I'm, I'm, 
purposely just trying to, at the forefront here, paint this picture of what's happening. Moses gathers them, gives them the vision. Here's what we need, and here's who we need. And the people respond. They go home. They start getting their gold. They start getting their, there's people, their hearts were stirred. They're like, well, I don't have gold, but I, I can spin this, and I can, I can manufacture that. I'll, I'll do this. And they just start bringing it, and they start bringing it, and they start bringing it. Now, verse 20, uh, 30. This is interesting because a couple of guys kind of rise to the top here. Verse 30 says, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, Look, or see, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, that, not Beal, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God. Now again, just, let, just marinate in that, that phrase. Listen. This guy, Bezalel, God has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic design, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones for awesome tile and showers. No, it doesn't say that. For cutting stones, for setting and for carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the son of Dan. He has filled them, both of these guys, with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns, yarns excuse me, in fine twine linen or by a weaver or by any sort of workman in skilled design. Verse 1 of chapter 36. Bezalel and Ohiliab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligent to know how to do any of the work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. I know I'm reading big chunks, but sometimes it's good to just kind of hear it in big chunks. Basically what's happened here is God now has kind of put a general call out to people to volunteer, but now he's specifically raised up two men. Bezalel and Oheliab, and these guys, notice, God put in them, did you catch that? By his spirit, he put this, by the spirit of God, filled them with all skill, intelligence, knowledge, with all craftsmanship, to do artistic design, engraving, and on and on it goes. I just want to say something about that real quick. I love that it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God gifted them. And it doesn't say to preach the Bible or to lead worship or to be an evangelist. Those are great things. How did he gift them? To work with gold, wood, materials, welding, engraving, to do artistic work. And guys, that is much is as much as service to God than preaching or evangelizing or anything. Are you guys tracking with me? It's so practical, but they, you need to hear this. He gifted these guys, and it was a gift of the Holy Spirit to do art, to fix stuff, to make things. And, and, I, and I, I'm probably going to talk about this more in a second, but I, I don't want to miss this because I think some people in the body of Christ feel like the proverbial redheaded stepchild because they don't have, you know, some awesome singing gift or some, you know, speaking gift or they don't really have, all, all I can do is just build houses. Guess what? 
Not all of us can build houses. You do not want me building your house. Do you understand that? You do not want me laying the foundation of your building. You don't want me to paint anything that you own. You certainly don't want me to work on your car. But for some of you guys and ladies too, you say, well, I don't really have a place in the body of Christ. I don't have any great skill. I just, I'm just good at drawing. Really? That's a gift from the Lord. To do art, to arrange flowers, to, to, to build buildings. To, do you guys understand what I'm trying to say? I'm just good at fixing cars. And here's what we fail to, to realize. For some of you guys, it comes so easily, you, you blow it off like, well, I get, can't everybody do that? No. Not everybody can do that. That's a gift from, that's how God has specifically gifted you. On my missions trip to Russia recently, it was my third trip to that particular region, the Primorsky region in the far east of Russia. And all three times I've had the delight of staying with a guy named Oleg who doesn't speak a lick of English, so I always have to have a translator stay with us. He opens up his house to us. He built this house in the early 90s. After communism fell, he was the first one in this whole rural area to build a two-story house because nobody was allowed to have two-story houses because your house wasn't allowed to be bigger than anybody else's house. That's another story. But he built it all by hand. He's a craftsman. He he's taken me into his, his shop and all his woodworking tools, and he has all around in his garden, he has this beautiful carvings and sculptures that he's done. His garden itself is a work of art. This guy is actually a renowned artist known in Vladivostok and Moscow and other places. He does these big, like, life-size displays with all kinds of mediums, materials that, you know, you can dream of, and he does these, like, abstract displays and puts them out there. But what I love about this guy is that he's deep, and you talk to him, and he's an artist, and he's got that kind of artistic mind, you know, and he talks about how there's a lot of artists out there, but they're just cranking out all this stuff, and he would just say stuff like, art is worship, and if you don't do it to glorify God, you're missing out on the whole point of doing it at all, and this guy gets it. It's not overt, it's not like in your face necessarily, but there is a meaning and there's reason behind everything that he does. It's to glorify Christ or to point people to the cross. And I just, his mindset is he realizes God gifted me to do art and I am going to use that art for the glory of the kingdom of God. And he's just wonderfully content functioning in his calling. And that's a big part of what I want to say tonight. I feel like the Lord would say, is that, you know, you're already seeing the picture being painted here. Not everybody brings the same thing to the table. It's really a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, isn't it? One body, many parts, working in unison for one purpose. Not everybody can be a hand or the mouth. Some people feel like you're the armpit. I get it. Some parts of the body are seen. Some parts of the body are unseen for good reason. But we all have a function, and we all have a part to play. And we get in trouble is when, you know, just like if your human body, if your hand wasn't content being a hand and wanted to be a foot, and it tried to function as a foot, you would be a spastic, unfunctioning body. And there's a lot of spastic, unfunctioning 
churches because we have people that are not gifted in certain areas, but they want to be gifted in those areas, and they're trying to operate in those areas, but really they just need to operate in the area they've been gifted in. Amen? So just food for thought. Just think that through. You see the picture being painted. We're not done yet, but we're getting close. Look at verse 2. We're, we're not going to do all of chapter 36. Just take it up through verse 7. And Moses called Bazalel and Oheliab, and every craftsman in whose mind, again, these great statements, in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution of the people of Israel, and they brought for the doing of the work on the sanctuary. And they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of the task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than is enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and a word was proclaimed throughout all the camp. Listen to this. This is the proclamation. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. I love this passage because here's what happened. He gives them the, hey, the material list, the people we need, and the people respond. And they start bringing it. And it says the guys that were head, heads over their department of what they were doing in their particular thing, every morning more people would just draw, hey, here's some more, another wheelbarrow of gold. I don't know if you guys need this, you know, or whatever. Or here's some more goat skin, or here's some more acacia wood, or, or hey, I, I got five more guys volunteering to build this. And, and they, one by one, came to Moses and were like, Moses, look, we got way too much stuff. We got way more than we need to do this project. Can you please tell the people to stop giving? When is the last time you heard a pastor in a building project Say, could you guys please stop giving to the work? We have more than one. Would you please stop volunteering to work in kids' ministry? We are so overwhelmed. We don't have enough kids to facilitate the workers. When's the last? How would you love to just hear that? We got a couple of announcements this morning. We got the uh, Operation uh, Christmas Child. And also, if you could please stop giving money. This is unreal. Pastor Steve and I were joking about this. You're never going to hear a, fa a faith a prosperity teacher on TV preach this passage. They had more than enough. That's such an amazing thing. Moses, and it says they had to restrain them from giving. And the idea is there that they, like, stop giving. Oh, we brought some more stuff. No, I told you to stop giving, but I have more. Stop giving. For crying out loud, would you just stop giving? Fine. Unreal. I think that's a great phrase to just kind of have underlined or at least in your mind. The material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. And I wonder, in the context of building the kingdom of God and doing the work of the ministry, what would it be like if we all were stirred and were giving and serving? I, I bet you... You know, there's, I don't have any statistics in front of me, but they're out there somewhere. I've heard them. I've read them. I don't have any handy. Forgive me. But something like, you know, if, if the church would just tithe, world hunger could be wiped out with the amount of money. There would be more than enough. 
if just the church would tithe. That's not, that's not like a guilt gotcha or anything like that. But the idea is, is that this is the way God, this is God's way of doing building projects. He didn't tell Moses to do some fundraising crazy mail out. There wasn't some like manipulative thing. He just said, here's the vision, here's the need, and I'm inviting, inviting you to participate if you want to jump in. And the people were stirred and the people got after it. I want to point out a couple of takeaways and then end with a question. A couple of things to point out. You saw it all the way through and I've already kind of made the parallel and you've done the math. Because, you know, we ask ourselves, how does this all apply to us? This is great as it relates to the tabernacle, but what about us? We're not really being called to build a tabernacle. I'm sure that if we had a church building project, we could find some real clear, you know, applications or whatever. But see, God does have a building project going on. It's not a building of brick and mortar or a tent. He's building his kingdom. Amen? And he's inviting us to participate in that work. And in some way, shape, or form, we all have a contribution to that work. A couple of things to point out. Number one, I want you to notice, and I'm not going to point out every time we read it through. You can go back and highlight or underline if you want. But everything about this contribution was voluntary. Did you guys notice that? Right from the get-go, it was like, he says, all those who have a willing heart. It was not obligatory. There was no sense of guilt. There wasn't a shameful finger saying, we're doing this work, and you guys better get involved. You know, sometimes you listen to pastors or teachers or ministries, and you would think God is just on edge. And like frantic that there's not enough money to go around. And, I, and like, oh, what are we going to do about it? Did you know God's not worried about it? There's no sense of urgency in the sense of like some obligation. You have to participate. It was voluntary. You don't have to give. You get to give. You don't have to serve. You get to serve. This may blow your mind. Let me ask you a quick question on this. Did God really need them to build the tabernacle? I mean, was God not capable enough to build a tabernacle on his own? How many of you guys think that God could build one and probably do it better? Asking them to do it is actually kind of a liability. Do you think God needs us? Do, do, do you really think that, that he could build his kingdom maybe through angels or some special breed of spiritual creature he could make or just come down and do it himself? But you know what? He committed the entire world missions program to 12, 11, excuse me, knucklehead, pardon me guys, fishermen and zealots and tax collectors and said, I'm leaving. I'm giving you the whole world mission outreach. I'll send my Holy Spirit. Peace out. It didn't actually say that. But guys, this is the way God chooses to do his building project. He doesn't need us. He invites us to participate in the great work. And as great as a work as it was to build the tabernacle, we get to be involved in an even greater work, and that is to build the kingdom of God. Voluntary. You don't have to. You, you, don't, you don't have to. But guess what? Some people's hearts were stirred, pricked. They, they heard the vision. They saw the need. Secondly, the contribution was proportionate. What I mean by that is, you know, when we were reading verses, like, I think it was, uh, like, verses 20 through 29, 
when it says, you know, all they just didn't read, you know, some were bringing gold, everyone who brought purple, scarlet, uh, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, acacia wood. Um, it was proportionate. And what I mean by that is not everybody brought gold. There were some who maybe had gold, but they weren't stirred to give gold. There was others that had gold, and they're like, yeah, I got gold. I want to bring gold. There was others who were like, I don't have gold, but I got some goat hair. Can you use goat hair? Yeah, we can use goat hair. Bring the goat hair. I don't have goat hair, but I got some tanned ram skin, or I've got some acacia. I don't have gold or silver, but I got some acacia wood. Bring the acacia wood. We need that too. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? It was proportionate as it related to how they've been blessed. God wasn't expecting them to bring anything except what he'd already blessed them with. Does that make sense? Yes or no? And as it relates to our giving, whether you're talking about finances or whether you're talking about your service to the Lord, it's really proportionate to how God has blessed you. And where we get in trouble is as we start comparing what other people are giving or what other people are doing. Hey, we just need to learn to, between God and us, give in accordance to how God has given to us. How we've been blessed is how we can bless others. Amen? You know, sometimes people, uh, you know, I've talked to people, well, I don't want to invite people over to my house for, you know, from church because, you know, I don't have a big fancy house or, you know, I don't, I just have this apartment. It's kind of meager and who cares? You don't have to have a mansion up on a Nini Vista to show hospitality. If you have a mansion on Anini Vista, show some hospitality to me. I'd love to come. No, I'm just kidding. But some have a lot, some have a little. It doesn't matter. It's how God has blessed you. But it, to whatever degree you've been blessed, you can bless others. You can give back. I'll never forget the first missions trip I went on. I was 15 years old. I went to Mexico with my church youth group. We were in this little village. We were doing our first time I ever shared my testimony. Um, part of the preparation from the trip for the trip was I had to write my testimony out, which I'd never even thought about, and I was required to give it over and over again when the opportunity came. It was a great little ministry um, intro. And all that to say is, at the end of the week, I remember they just had this big, like, block party for us, and all, all the, the families that they, we were kind of hanging out with and playing soccer with in the streets, poor, poor neighborhood, poor place. But they put out these tables, and we had tostadas, the best tostadas I've ever had in my life. I mean, they were so good. And I was just like, well, no, you know, thing, you know, we're eating tostadas, having a good time. But it was told to me later, and I was 15, and I remember this like it was yesterday. It was told to me that the people were giving in a way that they would, the point I'm making is, they were spending like their week's worth of groceries to come to bless us. And to me, it's like, oh, you run down to Alpha Beta, whatever, and get some lettuce and make some tostadas, whatever. No, for them, in this particular village, little town we were in, it was a huge sacrifice. They were getting out of their necessity to bless us. And so from the outside looking in, you're like, oh, what's the big deal? But guess what God was thinking when he saw that? That's a beautiful sacrifice to me. That is a gift proportionate to what they had. They gave a lot. Amen? Jesus taught in, in Mark 12 with the woman, the widow. And all the, he was just chilling just in the treasury, watching how people were giving. Not what they were giving necessarily, but how they were giving. And all these big guys, you know, and they were kind of making a big deal. And they threw their bucks in there, and they got a headline in the paper the next day. Rabbi so-and-so gives X amount of shekels for the building construction. Da -da -da -da. 
But then there's this poor widow, no income, no one to take care of her. She has two mites worth about a penny. Throws them in there. And Jesus said, dude, guys, did you see that? That, that lady, she gave more than all of these guys because she gave out of her necessity. See, two mites is nothing, but it was proportionate to what she had. And when she gave it to the Lord, Jesus was impressed. And he said, wow, that's amazing. They gave voluntarily. They gave proportionately. Thirdly, and I just want to make a quick note of this, I wanted you to note that God was the source of all the blessing and all of the desire to use the blessing. God was the one that not only gave them to give back, but God was the one who actually, as we already talked about, gave them the gifts to be able to serve. But it was also God was the one who put them the desire in them to use their gifts or the desire in them to give what they've been given. Does that make sense? It all started with God. Now, here's why I bring that up quickly. I'm coming to an end. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says this. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, just write it down. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, listen to this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And see, this is where I'm going with this because you might be thinking, okay, I get it. I'm being invited into this great work that God's doing. And I may not be gifted as much as somebody else, but God's given me certain gifts and God's given me certain skills and, and, and financial blessings to use. But where do I fit in and how do I do this and where do I... I'm not trying to like tell you what to do here's what you need to do go hang out with jesus and find out what he wants you to do because it is god who works in you both the want to and the ability to do that want to it's not up to your pastor it's not up to 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 some group what it's between you and the lord how is god stirring your heart to serve how is god stirring your heart to give then just obey that amen i can't tell you what that is Work it out. Work out your own salvation. I just always feel like I need to say this. It does not say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. Work it out on the practical level, on the day-to-day. How does this work out practically? Well, it's God who's going to work the will, the want to, and the ability in you and just do that. Amen? Okay, here's what I'm going to end on. I was praying about it today. I was like, Lord, you know what? I love this chapter, but what is it that really sticks out to me? What do you want to speak to us about? And just, just to maybe prime the pump to pray a little bit. You know, that whole part where it says that they had to be restrained from giving. Moses, please make an announcement to stop giving. We have more than enough. Stop giving. And the question I have, and I'm not exactly sure how to phrase this, just forgive me if I stumble through this a little bit, but I guess what I'm asking is what was it that caused that kind of over-the-top participation, that extravagant, all-in, yes, I've got this, you can have it, I can do this, I'll use it, I'll, I'll use my skill. What was it that in this particular instance, which is kind of unique, that caused the men and women 
to, to respond like that to the point where there was too much stuff, too many people, they had to tell them to stop giving and stop serving. What was going on in them? And I don't know if I have the full answer to that, but something that is just on my heart and mind and maybe a partial answer to that is I believe, listen, that deep down, every single one of us wants to be a part of something bigger than us. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I think for these guys, when they saw the plans for the tabernacle, understanding what its purpose was and how significant it was that God would be in their midst, and here's the need that was being presented, and here was their opportunity to get involved, and they were like, I want to be a part of that. And, and again, as I said earlier, it was the Lord, it was the Holy Spirit stirring them, that's a given. But they were like, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that project. That, you mean I have a little part to play? I can't do it all. I mean, I can't fund the whole thing, but I got some gold. Now, I don't know how to spin goat's hair, but I got acacia wood or I know how to car. You mean I can have a little part of the project? And I wonder what went through their mind in chapter 40 when they, they erect that thing and they step back and go, hey, you see that bolt on the bottom end of the uh, base of the uh, pillar that's holding up the outer core? I built that. I did that. Pretty cool, huh? I don't know. But they were invested in it. They were stoked about it. They got to be a part of something that was significant and that was bigger than them. And that desire, I think, is in us. I feel like we're living in, the, uh, in a culture of causes right now. Especially in like the 20-something range of people here. There is a cause for everything. And they're not bad causes. Save the earth. Education. Clean drinking water. Adopt a pet. Plastic straws. I don't know. Not plastic straws. Like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get kicked off the island for that. None of those are bad things. And, and I'm not trying to belittle any of those. Those are whatever. That's a great cause. Be a, be a part of those causes. But I look around some, and I'm looking at this, this patch of, of young 20-somethings specifically. Because I feel like for you guys, there's a lot of you, and I'm not thinking of individuals necessarily, but I'm just also kind of beyond you and into the culture itself. A lot of believing young Christian young men, Christian young women, who are kind of meandering right now, maybe glomming onto some of these causes which are not bad. But can I just remind us of something? We have been invited to the greatest cause that there ever was. God has invited us to participate with him in the greatest revolution and the mission that is greater than anything you can possibly imagine. If we really believe what we say we believe, if we actually believe what our Bibles say, then the eternity of every man, woman, boy, and girl hinges on what they do with the person of Jesus Christ. We are literally on a mission from God. Souls are going into eternal damnation every moment of every day. 
There are whole people groups that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people in our jobs. There's people, there's children that we're raising that we have been invited in to help build the kingdom of God and bring the kingdom of God to those people in some way. And I don't know about you, that is exciting. Jesus Christ is the only hope for humanity. Thus, the church of Jesus Christ is the only hope for humanity. And we might be involved in a lot of other things, but can we please get excited about the mission that we've been called to? God has called us into the building project of the kingdom of God, and to me, there's nothing more exciting about that. And I want to tell you right now, this life is not about fulfilling your travel dreams or living your best life now or any of those other stupid things. You live for yourself and you will waste your life. You give your life away to serve and to die for the kingdom of God. And you will be a part of something greater than you can possibly imagine. Amen? Now listen, I'm not saying that we all need to go quit our jobs tomorrow and hit on the mission field. Some of you maybe do. I don't know. But some of you are moms and dads or construction workers. But do you understand that you can take the kingdom of God to your job site tomorrow? It's a mindset. It's a perspective. It's, it's a thought of like, God, this is how I've been gifted. This is the context in life where you've put me. And I just want to say, Lord, I don't have a lot, but I give it to you. And I just want to offer my little bit to contribute to building the kingdom of God. Can you use me? Can you take my little piece of... I can help fund a missionary. I can go on a missions trip. I can pray for my coworkers. I can worship Jesus and tell my kids about Jesus while I'm folding clothes and doing dishes. Oh, that we would seek first the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, again, it's a massive project, just like it was for them, and not everybody's, we're not called to do every part of it. We're just called to do our part in it. What's your part? See, I can't tell you what your part is because it's God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. I triple dog dare some of you guys tonight to take a few minutes and say, Lord, where do I fit in this building project? Would you start to show me with what you've given me and with the talents and with the monetary whatever, how can I further the kingdom of God? I don't got to serve you. I get to serve you. Is there a place at the church I could serve? However the Lord might stir you. It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit because guilt or some, you know, cheerleader message from past, that's not going to work. It's got to be a, a gift of the Spirit or a stirring, rather, of the Spirit of God in your life. Amen? So let's just take a moment right now to stop and let's bow our heads. And let's just take a, a moment to pray.